Go. What's up, everybody? Um, welcome to Design Kitchen, where we provide inspiration for innovation. Um, Stephen Angel here. We were just talking about some of the updates from the last um, podcast that we had. Um, one of them being the machine shop um, that you were working on and how to basically, you know, get a business or at least get involved into a business without, um, you know, initial money down. Yes, there are the, the world of business acquisitions and just in general has been very fascinating to me lately. So I've been really kind of digging into that. There's a lot of different people who are kind of teaching that kind of stuff. So, um, but what, uh, so really the ideal method is it's something that doesn't require much, if any, out of your own pocket. Basically, what I, that's, and that's what I've been working on to myself. I don't have a ton of capital to play with. So I, I can't just go like the, if you have a lot of money to play with or to you know to work with of your own, well, then of course, that's easy. You know, you can find some kind of business, find a business that's for sale. There's, you know, say if you have a few million dollars or up to, I mean, you don't need a few million. You can, you can, if you have a down payment for a few million or something like that, which is still a significant amount of money, the down payment, say 20% or something on 3 million. Yeah, you're still talking a good chunk of money. Mm. So, um, but basically what I'm working on is that I'm like, I would love to own a machine shop and I want to find something where I can go in with little to no money out of my own pocket and just work my way into it, into an ownership position, whether that be partial ownership, full ownership, partnership, I guess kind of a par partial ownership is um, a, a partnership kind of, but um, so something I've been working, I've been talking to a, a few different machine shops and, and they're right now, especially the machine, machining industry, there are a lot of guys who are getting towards retirement. Many of these guys own smaller shops, like small machine shops are, they're, they are everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, many of them are just run by a single person, maybe just a couple of people in there. But I'm looking at kind of some of these kind of shops and I'm trying to find somebody who's trying to get out of the business. They want to pass on the trade. They want to give their, you know, rather than just liquidate all of their equipment, that's the easiest way. You post it all on Craigslist, it's gone. Okay, done. You walk away from it. But these older guys, they don't want to, they don't want to do that because then there's just, they're, they're kind of leaving their customers hanging. They're not passing on the trade. So they feel like they worked so long for nothing. Mm -hmm. So I kind of want to take that and find some of these people, talk to them, spend some time with them, learn from them. They have, these guys have an immense amount of information to teach because they've been in the industry for so long. And, you know, I'm speaking for machine shops here, but really it could go for many different industries. Um, so, yeah, I'm talking to a few different older guys who are getting close to retirement. They want to kind of get out of it, but they want to pass on the trade. They want to teach somebody and then they want to pass off their equipment and then mm -hmm. to somebody. So ideally, I would like to, I would go through a process where I learn from them. They're kind of, we work together. We retain their customers. So I, you know, automatic customers, <laughs> you know, you can't win. You can't, you can't beat that because customers are expensive to acquire. Yeah, and it's a very difficult process, right? It can be. Um, 
and so you're basically you're earning you're getting customers you in by by spending time with the the owner you're kind of like gaining the trust of their customers and that's at least the kind of deal that i'm looking for is you know somebody who can who has customers they have all the machinery they have everything they just want to pass it off and then they want to step away and they want to retire so i want to learn from them i want to get their customers i want to get their equipment Mm -hmm. you know I'd, i'd be curious would it make sense if you were to meet like let's say all of these different shops that you're talking to and almost putting them together to create either this little conglomerate or a little mini monopoly type of thing and basically like you know like hey i have a friend that's also a machine shop owner you know it might help if you met him because um you know along with that you know i kind of revamped my my company structure a little bit to kind of hit similar to what you're doing um but have you ever thought about that or what do you think the the outcome of that would be yeah so i've thought about it a little bit thinking of you know it could be as simple as finding one that's just like a a really good fit it has everything i need and that just stick with that and then just build that up or or take it and that would be you know if, if it was sustaining for somebody else likely it would it, it could sustain for me you know my from me coming in though i would like to go into a business and ramp it up and, and get more out of it than than what it was previously we just with a different viewpoint not that i would bring in more abilities or more knowledge than the person who's just a different you know coming in fresh and i would like to ramp a business up but um or and then on top of that what i'd like to do is yeah i would like to maybe there's a few of them that I can kind of either combine them all together, roll them up into one, which is a roll up. That's actually, you know, the, the term for it is, is uh, in the mergers and acquisitions world, you know, it's called a roll up. You just buy a whole bunch of smaller ones, roll them all into one. There you go. Right. Yeah. Or you can keep them like kind of build a, like a parent company and then put all of these separate companies, keep them separate and you could hold them, within that holding as a group yeah mm-hmm. now if, if you know a few of these shops that i've been talking to are single their owner employee operated shops right so i couldn't really keep them as separate shops unless i hired somebody into that position um, mm-hmm. but now if i rolled them into one then that would be it'd be easier for me to manage probably but no if they were more self-sufficient, bigger shops, which I would like to target later on in the future. Um, but that might be a million plus. And at this point, you know, of course, there, there are plenty of investors out there who are willing to do that. But myself, I'd like to start out with smaller and then I would, get, I would like to ramp into that. But, um, you know, with, when you get over, you know, 500,000, a million, you know, or, or more, you get companies with several employees attached and then, then you might have a self-sufficient machine that you're buying. And, and that one can, would be more like I would go in and I would be like a, um, a manager or a, like a, you know, somehow some executive position there, as opposed to these smaller shops where I buy it and now I'm the employee, I'm buying myself yeah. a job. So, but with the end goal in mind of 
rolling some in rolling multiple into one so that I can hire somebody in and to, to perform the work so I can work. You know, initially I'll be working in the business, but then I'll work on it at the same time. So it'll be a little extra work, but um, I'm ready for it. So. Yeah. Cause that, that's what I was thinking. Cause even, you know, let's say you owned a machine shop and I owned a machine shop um, and we were pretty close to each other where we're like, Hey, you know what, how come, we don't save rent and, you know, put our equipment together, our customers together, operating out of one building, our employees, right? It's like you're like three, four blocks down the street. To me personally, it would make perfect sense for me to like, you know, partner with you and then just be like, well, these are current current revenues. We could literally run our independent businesses out of, out of that building. So I'd be mm-hmm. curious if you would be like that middleman that could talk to maybe three, four different shops in your area and be like, hey, look, you know what I'm thinking? I'm talking to a couple of shops. Wouldn't it make sense if we all just fuse this into one thing? And especially since you guys are all looking into retirement already, like mm-hmm. it would be basically you guys could take terms managing, basically almost like sell them that that idea. Yeah. And be definitely the in the middle that's going to basically benefit from all three, four different merge right. roll ups, as you call mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Yeah. And if the person is kind of looking towards retirement, maybe they're 60, 65, somewhere in there, and they're not like ready to fully retire, but they're ready to back away from the business, which is in a lot of times that is the case. They just want to, maybe they're working. 50 hours a week, they want to go down to like 20 or 30, or, or maybe take a vacation for a month if they wanted to, right? And that would be where, yeah, that person would be excellent, an excellent candidate for that kind of a situation where I could be there, I could merge the three shops into one, kind of, you know, they could even be, they could still stay as separate, but then they could take off and in between myself and the other shops, we would manage with the, the, um, you know, combined resources. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think that would, that's definitely, definitely a possibility. But then, and then in the case where somebody is ready to retire and completely move to Hawaii and just be out of here, well, you know, that person, <laughs> they're, they're ready to completely sell out and, and then I, I wouldn't take over a hundred percent of that. I mean, but you could always work with them and tell them, Hey, look, well, you're trying to sell, you want this much, I can give you this much a month to sustain your lifestyle. And in the meantime, that's kind of like the, um, I think it's called like QLA um i forgot it's this an investor guy that talks about like acquiring businesses um something yeah i think dan pena Um, okay so he kind of talks about how you basically you kind of like take over and pay them back based with their own um revenue or their own profit absolutely yep yeah there's a lot of a lot of different ways of structuring that but that is um in general, yeah, you could. That's a very common way of doing it, even, and it's it benefits both people, the, the buyer and the seller. And in some cases, the seller wants to sell and they want to go and buy a house with the money. Well, they need a lump sum. Kind of, yeah. But in in other cases, if they're just wanting to move somewhere and they just need monthly payments, they can cover their mortgage, cover their mm-hmm. expenses, and everything. It's better for them. You know, in some cases, now I, you know, I'm, of course, I'm not a legal 
tax person, but in, I think in a lot of cases, it's better for them from a tax perspective as well. Got it, because let's say you get a $300,000 lump sum, mm-hmm. you're getting taxed on that, right? It, you know, however that tax structure, I'm not sure how that falls, but probably, yeah, you know, I, don't, I would guess I wouldn't even know how to guess, but versus getting a, um, I don't know, $5,000 a month. Yeah. Or over a period of, of several years. Mm-hmm. And you could even throw in interest on top of that. I could put interest in on top of that, but it's in the interest is a write-off for me anyway. So I don't yeah, yeah. care so much. And of course, write-off doesn't mean you don't have to pay. It just means you don't have to pay taxes on that part of it. So I think people over kind of overemphasize write-offs. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I think that would be cool because let's say you can find one person that wants to do that or is open to do that. Now you have the negotiating power to approach the other shops and be like, well, I am technically the owner. So I want to make this deal with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that does sound, it sounds fun to me. That sounds like a lot of fun, but, and uh, yeah, where I'm at right now is with a machine shop like that, I want to, be able to go in and run all of the equipment or most of it. Anyway, I'm very comfortable on manual machining the very, like all of the base understanding. I'm, I'm very comfortable in a machine shop mm-hmm. and then even running, jumping in front of a CNC. I'm comfortable running it once I learn how to operate the controls, but it's the part of operating kind of learning the nuances of each machine is that's what I'm working on right now. Mm-hmm. and and then and that's why i'd like to start with these smaller shops so i can buy one kind of learn all the equipment work with the owner buy another one and then learn their equipment and then from there keep expanding and then um it, that way i can just go in run the equipment if somebody else if somebody needs to take over and run the equipment for a little bit yeah, yeah. long term that's it you know of course i would want to probably not spend so much time in front of the machines because then that's working in the business rather than on it mm-hmm. and but yeah so but starting at the bottom they're kind of starting starting small and i'll work my way up but and, and like you were saying like get it get them all into one building that would be really cool to find a building like maybe a four thousand square foot space which is you know still a pretty small machine shop but but from for me right now that's pretty big right mm-hmm. so Let's say I buy a couple of them that are currently in somebody's garage taking up or home shop. Maybe they're taking up 1,500 square feet each. I'll buy up both, put them into the 4,000 square foot space. Mm-hmm. And yeah, rather than maintaining two separate locations, you're just doing one. Yeah. So you have to consolidate and yeah. Yeah, that'd be interesting to do, actually. I mean, I, I don't know why a lot of these guys, these smaller shops aren't doing that now, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I would just go, like, if I if I had a machine shop, I would go to my um, raw material manufacturer and be like, or my supplier, and I'm like, hey, why don't we just combine? I'll move my machines over there, and we'll split the rent. Um, Definitely, yeah, I know. That makes more, so, so much more sense, you know, and I can just reach over and grab the material that I need and pay them for it. <laughs> that would be really cool. And you know, actually, I've, I've thought about that because I was looking at, um, I'm always just kind of scrolling through different, you know, biz buy sell, which is not necessarily the greatest place to buy a business if you're looking for a good deal, but it, it's just to kind of keep looking at just seeing what's out there for sale. 
Um, I was looking at a material supplier, like you were saying, and it was like, you know, first start with the machine shop, but then from there, you can buy the material supplier, keep them as two separate. I would keep them as two separate companies, mm-hmm. and, but then I would, if I own them both, move them into the one location. And now they benefit from each other in, in a lot of ways. So yeah, I think I that would be, that would be pretty cool. I'd be curious, you know, because because it really, I mean, to me, it, it's really on the person, you know, like, I don't think there's any like legal thing, any other kind of block other than like the ego and the individual saying like, well, how much of your business are you going to give up? Or are we going to give each other a discount? Or are we a partnership? You know, are we just splitting the building costs? But I think once you get past all of that, I mean, it would make a lot more sense for a lot of these smaller shops to centralize um, and not just in machine shops, but in, in a lot of industries and kind of like shift back from like major corporations to a lot of like smaller communal type of uh, companies. Mm-hmm. I think we are seeing that, that type of a shift because like just in the U S in, in a lot of different industries, and because small businesses are being becoming more accessible through it's like from my perspective anyway from what it feels like to me is the um SaaS companies so subscription-based software companies mm-hmm. providing some very good resources to these businesses like that weren't possible before like accounting software but you don't need to be an accountant to run QuickBooks. And you can do that with a small business. Of course, you can start with Excel or something even cheaper than that. But um, And then Wix and these other easy website builder companies. And then these other, like everything is subscription-based. It's easy to access. Information is incredibly accessible. I mean, to, to the point where it's actually information overload. But, mm-hmm. um, and so that's creating more opportunities for smaller businesses. And it seems like there are a lot of, you know, smaller like businesses popping up. And I, I like it when there are a lot of just local businesses, small businesses. I like the, like the environment of a small business. I like supporting small local businesses. And I think it, it brings us back more to, it's more sustainable than massive corporations. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it brings us back to like really early times where it kind of came down to bartering. Right? <laughs> I, I, I've been running through that for like the last few weeks now. And I'm like, wouldn't that much be a much better life sometimes? Oh, you just have like all these little stands, like, you yeah. know, everybody's just bartering. And, and, you know, honestly, we might come to that someday. And with all of these, small businesses when everybody has these small businesses where each everybody has something that they can provide to somebody else mm-hmm. then well there you go it makes it a lot easier but if everybody works for these large corporations then the only people who have something is the, the large corporations whereas now these a lot of small businesses i mean everybody's got some kind of a skill set or something that they can yeah, yeah. produce and trade for something else well, because I, I think of a couple of things, right? You know, first of all, you look historically, right? And a lot of these people, they had such a free 
rain to just drop into any town and, you know, go find a job, be like, hey, I'm a school teacher. They'll find a job, a place to stay and everything. Like within a week, they can just kind of pick up their whole life and move it wherever. Or, you know, they would jump on a ship and go write a book in another country. And I feel like like that was such a free time where I was thinking, too, it's like, well, me, you know, what services do I really need? I need to get food, maybe like a gym membership, like basic things that apply to me that don't apply to other people where I would literally only have to exchange my services for like food and a couple things that are relevant to me. Um, so even that, I don't, I don't see that barter system being such a difficult thing um, mm -hmm. to maintain, you know, because it would be individualistic and you create your connections to it. But, but I was also thinking, um, you know, with, with just like people getting dragged around so much um, I was reading, you know, about all these massive layoffs going on right now because of certain policies that people are being forced to leave their jobs and things like that. Um, also mixed in with people, you know, realizing their, their self-worth and not wanting to work to, with these large companies where I, I was thinking, you know, what if people really just started um, doing their own companies like not not just um you know like like by specifically specific skill sets um and not not even that but i was also reading an article where they were saying some of the like main cities would be shifting back to suburban areas because of the um you know the remote work options and things like that where they were even saying like they were they were predicting that in the future you could have like your 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 neighborhood but like some of these houses could be like stores and like restaurants just completely um integrated into suburban living mm -hmm. like a small self-sustaining neighborhood kind of it, it would have everything that you need within that each like a lot of small neighborhoods that each one just has everything that it needs yeah, yeah. And I mean, that was one of the predictors that we're looking at. But just looking at the way things are, I mean, I could definitely see that as a, as a future thing happening. Um, you know, I've, I've also been studying a lot about just the way civilizations are formed. And, um, you know, one of the things that they were talking about, the best way to really fight any kind of... Um, I guess uh, umbrella laws that are being put on you is to create this little parallel society within the society where you kind of abide by the rules, but you have your own way of sustaining. So if people, if more people did that, you know, like if a couple of shops got together and they're like, oh, we're building our own little um, communities of sort. I, I think that, that could be a parallel model to working for large corporate um entities and just being you know forced to uh, abide by their rules i guess or by this structure that that has been put upon society you know it's like who says it has to be nine to five you know people have to pick up their kids people have to do things like that where where i feel a lot of that this shift yeah yeah and so that's how was the as a little bit of a shift How's your job search stuff going on? Yeah, so um, 
actually it, it's pretty well um a lot of these mandates for anyone you know that's like struggling looking for jobs i mean if you're good at sales you kind of have a little leg up because mm -hmm. um a lot of these jobs are offering remote options so what i've been found finding is that a lot of the uh, whether you're you know engineer or you know sales or a mix of the two um it seems you could still find a job if you don't you know want to go through with a lot of the mandates and um one issue i am finding was that a lot of them were more entry level like sales development reps type like that type of stuff um some of the more I guess, you know, senior level type of jobs that, that I was looking into were requiring it. Um, but then even on those companies, if the position itself was remote, um, they were still open to hiring anyone. Um, okay. Another fun fact, I noticed one employee mentioned that they were okay with it, but that they were their clients required um, all visitors, right? And if you're a salesperson, you're going to be visiting. So their clients required everybody to be um, inoculized. Yeah. So, you know, it's a kind of a, I feel like it's a shifting field right now, but overall, I mean, if you're persistent, if you're applying, um, there's still opportunities out there for, for people that are looking for real and this big uh, shift that they're calling. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. So I know it's, it's definitely causing a lot of issues, but yeah, well, if you find something, something comes up and you find something that's like a, a representative for somebody in some company in Texas or something, you know, <laughs> state, you're, you're, you're a local representative to your area for a company in a different state. So, well, that's exactly what, what one of my one of my criteria was. I was looking for Florida or Texas headquartered companies that mm -hmm. had a remote position in the West Coast. Um, yeah. Fortunately, I found I found um, a couple companies that um, are looking for for people, regardless of that um, mandate compliance. Yeah. That is. Avoid yeah, some companies just really don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they respect yeah. people's freedom. <laughs> yeah, which is good. That's yeah, I, I agree with um yeah. people's um, freedom. But anyway. You know, along with that though, I did, you know, just in case stuff does get tougher, I shifted my my um I guess my business model for infinity skies. You know, I figured I'm gonna leave that and see where that goes. But I, I kind of honed it down to basically just focusing on business development, right? Because like I'm getting offered positions for business development, development where they're paying you, you know, over six figures and I could do them, but then I couldn't do them because of the, um, you know, mandates. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, if so many people, if so many businesses are desperate, right, for business development and I'm like thinking... I'm going into these interviews 
I could take the exact same pitch from that interview and go to small businesses, tell them, hey, look, this is what I'm going to do for your company. This is what we're going to help you with, blah, blah, blah. And that itself is a product and a service on its own. I'm like, why are you going to pay me six figures when you can pay me maybe like 10, 20K or something and as a contractor for, for just me to go in there and set it up, not work for you. Maybe I can go set up a team and be more of like a con- consultative. But, you know, yeah. instead of paying me like the six figure salary employee, now they can go hire like, uh, you know, some somewhere, someone entry level and have them follow my plan that I can help set up for them. So I, I think that that in itself is something that I can really just go in there and sell like a like a package type of thing for for companies that, you know, really it's like, I mean, the basic stuff, right? Competition, competition analysis, you figure out your competition's competition, you figure out your competition's customers, you go after everybody, you know, and um, so along with that, I think that I'm just going to niche it down to business development, product introduction. So if they have a new product, we can get it done. And if they want manufacturing, we can have it manufactured, but just just maybe hone it down. No supply chain, no contract manufacturing, like just stop, you know, not not confuse what um, the service is just basically it's these three things. But if something that you have falls under and I could get it done, then um you know, it'll, it'll just kind of get covered by the umbrella of these three three services. Um, And then as far as my little sweeper thing, I haven't done too much, too much work on that. I I actually did come up with another idea. Uh, So, okay, here's my thing, right? I'm riding on my bike. I have, um, I have pretty big ape hangers the large motorcycle um handles so a lot of the cell phone holders they have them like way up here in the handle or like maybe um a little bit lower but i don't like that because there's so much vibration being transferred from like the the fork all the way to the top of the handles that it doesn't seem like a very fit um place to mount your phone so then I've seen some that they have like tank magnets where you can put it right onto the magnet. And, you know, I was doing research and research and, you know, it's like a, I have a Harley Dyna, so it doesn't have like a windshield or anything. But then I was, I was, I ran into these things called um, barrel bags, which is these cool little bags, barrel shaped that you can put them like between the handlebars, like in the front fairing or in the back. Or like oh, yeah, alongside yeah, the bike, and there's parallel between those and for bicycles. So bicycles also have these similar ones where they'll even have like a cooler and like you can put soda. But again, the main feature I was looking at was the phone, right? And there's bikes; they have a couple type of uh, bags that you can mount to like the frame and the handlebar type of thing, where you can have your phone um, visible. But then I was thinking. Why can't I have a little mount on dashboard right onto maybe like the fork? And, you know, the Harley fork is pretty standard across all the models, like the, the I, mean, I guess the fork cover with the handle where the handle is. If it was something that I could just clip onto there, that it would have almost like a dashboard feel where it would have my phone. I can have built in speakers 
um and even a bag to put in like my keys and my wallet because like that stuff you know it gets in my way when it's in my pocket i'm scared it's gonna fall out or something so like maybe that that barrel bag concept but using the most minimalist um approach to make it almost look like it's part of the bike because you know obviously the harley riders it's, it's all about looks right <laughs> yeah um so it has to look nice but if you could implement implementing it that right into the front of the fork as low as possible, um, you know, where it would have a phone holder, maybe hold, hold it like at a 45 degree angle. So it's optimal for like riding position and um, with some built in speakers, because, you know, currently only like those big baggers with the with the big fairings in the front have the, the built in speakers and. Like I looked it up and like a waterproof speaker for for the, the Harley Dynas are over a hundred, two, three hundred bucks. Um, so I, that that was a concept, you know, and maybe if it was made out of some kind of metal type of material where it looked cool and it looked like it was actually part of the bike. Yeah. Yeah. And when Bluetooth speakers are so cheap mm -hmm. that you could you can find something that works and integrate it into it. So yeah, it's, I mean, waterproof. That's that's no problem because a lot of them are. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think as a prototype, then just refining it, get some nice quality speakers, like directional, right at the driver, things like that. Yeah. But really, just being able to fit it all within a little compact. Um, and I was thinking it could almost be like a suite of, of electrifying and digitizing your bike. Like I, on a previous one, we talked about like if there was uh, like something that you can put on your visor that would kind of do like traffic detection too. And that would all be yeah. linked to your phone and your little dashboard. But then you still have like the classic, you know, metal motorcycle look. Yeah. That, that's a concept um i i have to draw out some sketches i might just even if i can make it look cool enough just machine it for myself and then um just post it on e post a couple of them on ebay or something and see if people want it see that's exactly that's what i was thinking too it's like i, I could create when i'm creating some kind of a product put it on etsy ebay mm -hmm. and i mean even even facebook Right. You just throw them up for sale, see how people respond to it on a smaller scale. You don't have to put in a whole bunch of marketing dollars. You don't have to put in a bunch of money into it, but post it up and see how, how it does. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't do well on a small scale, you have, you have to change. So refine it on a small scale before you try to dump in any kind of marketing, any kind of massive like production volumes. And because then you're starting to talk about a lot more money. So small scale research and then then you can scale it up, use, use the funds that you get from the small scale stuff yeah, to yeah. keep scaling up. And that's another way to start a company. I mean, I've seen people 3D printing, baking um, molds, making like 100000 a year. I'm like, what? <laughs> people, I, I know people make a lot of money on just the, some of these things that you see, like Little arts and crafts. Oh, that's that's like that. such a simple thing. I, I wouldn't have even thought of it because it's, I would, if I, if that thought crossed my mind, I would have thought, oh, that's too simple. I'm, I don't want to deal with that. It's not going to make any money. But then you see these <laughs> other people succeeding with it. And it, uh, what in the world? Right. And so um, you remember I was talking about that book, the uh, How We Make Stuff Now. And 
that was that was a book I talked about a few I don't know it's been a, a few weeks ago but finally finished it I'm a little bit of a slow reader but <laughs> but I made it through but that one just talked all about the the product life cycle and how to how to get a product out and but if you go on the grommet or just google the grommet that's the website and that's the the um the owner of that company is actually the one who who wrote the book mm-hmm. and so a lot of the stuff that's for sale on the grommet is like oh that's so simple like such a simple little product and <laughs> it, it, i could do that <laughs> you know i could have I could have made a lot of those things, but at the same time, I don't want to do some simple little like cooking product because I don't spend a lot of time in the kitchen. I would not be passionate about that. Sometimes I feel like not necessarily a requirement, but you should at least enjoy what you're creating. (laughs) Yeah, because I was going to say, I feel like... um you know, having this extensive background, sometimes you feel too smart to do these things and you're like, damn, that's what made the money. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I try to do something more complex than I get, then I don't get it done because it's too complex. Yeah. And yeah, so start simple. Start with something super simple and go from there. Hey, get small win. Get, get yeah. some small win. <laughs> Exactly to what you just said. I just got um, the Daily Laws by by Robert Greene. So I just came okay. like a week or two ago, and it, basically this book it's it's different than his other books because he literally just has like a daily law for every every day, and it's like broken down into sections. But to what you just said, um, I'm in the mastery part and he has this other book called mastery. I don't know if you're too familiar with Robert green. I have not read his book. Oh man. So he's like one of my, he's, he is probably my top um, author after I read like 48 laws of power, like that, like shifted my whole way of thinking about life. So I, I highly recommend that. But um, in this book, he talks about how whatever your childhood inclinations were, that's probably what you'd be great at, right? So, I mean, me, like I'm sure a lot of other engineers, I was always playing Legos, right? So I'm like, okay, Legos building type of thing. But then I'm like, but what was I doing with them? Well, I was building like airplanes and motorcycles and houses. So I'm thinking like, okay, you know, naturally that's the stuff I like. I'm in the aerospace industry. I'm like, I'm into motorcycles. I'm into like real estate investing. So it's like, it's almost like the, the what, what he talks about, you know, like Da Vinci, for example, when he was a young child, he loved uh, drawing in very, very high detail. So that's how when he became an adult, he had already that natural inclination to, um, be a very, very detailed drawing and be able to look at the structure of things. Um, So basically, like, that's kind of what he's saying, that if you look at your childhood inclinations and basically pursue them now as an adult, that's what's going to be fulfilling, satisfying, and that you're going to be great at. That's interesting. I'll have to think about that. And I will pick up some of of his books because that's like, Oh, that's good information <laughs> because yeah. I'm always kind of trying to think like, what is my, like, where should I go? Like what's, I kind of know the thing, some of the things I enjoy, but 
what's like a kind of to, to try to fine tune that and to get into my passion a little a little deeper definitely and you know i mean even i even i have trouble with that because obviously i have my hobbies but i'm not monetizing them right. in a perfect world every every one of my hobbies would be monetized you know like I'd be going at the gym and getting paid for like sponsors and my supplement brand and all this stuff then i'd be going to like work and you know like i mean that would be a perfect world for me where i'm, I'm just getting paid to to do the things i like yeah well and, and you know what real realistically like that is possible yeah yeah to, to do that as long as you work towards that and to exactly. keep that as a goal and yeah. yeah and and that's kind of what i how i basically live my everyday life so i have like i broke everything into like four areas right health wealth uh relationships and family and then like personal development and growth so like in career right i want to get to this entrepreneurship level and be making a certain amount and live a certain way be able to freely travel things like that right then in health it's like i want to be 220 with abs looking exactly like this and i want my relationship to look like this i want my you know 2.5 children in this household so like you know you set up everything um the way you want it to be and i think that that kind of goes hand in hand it's almost like you run your life as as if it was a business plan mm -hmm. and that yeah. that's how you you know fulfill like like the four areas like i look at it like a almost like a little video game thing so you got to build one up and the more you focus on one you're gonna like have to let go of the other three but then like once you get to a good point then you can shift focus <laughs> yeah so i i thought oh, that's what it always is yeah it's always a uh, juggling back and forth yeah between mm -hmm. how's your knife project so making some slow progress on it so it's actually it, it, there i'm trying to work out some of the small details so now it's more into the the tedious progress so like getting the bulk design done just to get an idea of what it looks like how it's going to function in my mind is that's pretty quick but mm -hmm. then to now to bring that into actual function and make sure that the blade release mechanism works properly how is it going to look like what's it going to look like where is where is it going to be located what kind of a button is it and what's the texture of the handle um dimensions of everything like all those little details just get that's where i'm spending a lot of time just trying to figure things out there's been a few things like few of my ideas that i kind of had to toss out for now mm -hmm. so that i can make more progress and then i can see if i can bring them back in in the future because it's like that poses too much of a design challenge it's just not really realistic to to accommodate all of my like <laughs> ideal vision so uh -huh. initially make something functional and then come back and redesign and, and improve on that because mm -hmm. so. i was i was just thinking right now as you were speaking um I, I saw this thing on amazon where it had like a it was almost like a taser box but then you flip down a cover and it had like five projectile little blades. Hmm. I don't know if you've seen that. No. Yeah. So there are these tiny little blades, almost like a little ninja machine, right? Yeah. 
it looks they're like they're pretty violent like they're going through like stacks of cardboard and stuff right so wow. i'm just thinking what if you implemented a projectile feature on your knife where it had like a five toothpick holder it's a toothpick holder but so you can pull it down and they're all going to be flush but then if you pull it down like an extra notch it's really going to like recoil the spring on each one and you have like a five projectile of like these tiny little um like toothpick type of things it's just like <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh oops i overdesigned the spring on accident yeah. right no you're not supposed <laughs> to fall to the second notch yeah <laughs> oh, it's there but you're not supposed to use it don't use yeah. it <laughs> it's just to release the um the toothpick so that you can pull it out and use it yeah. put it back yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah so something else i was thinking about as i was flying so i went to ontario to, to Canada a couple uh -huh. weeks ago. So as I was flying, I was thinking about the tray. So you know when you fold the tray down uh -huh. in front of like in front of you and put you put put your drink on it, you put your food on it. That tray is slippery. And if you hit turbulence, your stuff will go flying. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I don't know. Why don't they have a better cup holder on there? Can you like it doesn't it seem it seems simple enough, but since they don't, and I haven't seen one, unless you get move up into first or business class, then you have better cup holders. But for the economy, like I usually always fly, what if you just made a little cup holder that like hangs off of the edge of that tray? You know, like something that something that you would use in a boat. Basically, it can swing back and forth. It can rock. It can, you know, if you're in wavy waters, it it keeps your drink upright. Turbulence. Lift that right onto the edge of that tray. Because don't don't they have those already? They have them in some form, but actually, I don't know if they have them for for airplane. Yeah, they're for airplane yeah. tray specifically. Exactly. But uh, so that would be you could probably just take one, rebrand it, market it as yeah airplane trays. Because there's definitely, I mean, like you could probably see. I don't know if this is going to show, but right here, this yeah. it's literally like the perfect thing for that tray. It would just be getting it and, you know, contacting them and, and having it like almost like repurposed or adding a couple of features that that would be um, airplane, airplane friendly. Mm -hmm. when yeah, you make it compact mm -hmm. and lightweight and just make it and then you package it accordingly. And this would be something you just sell to, to people, to the individuals, not necessarily like the airline company. Yeah, I exactly. think you just you'd sell them at the little airport kiosks and stuff, and little stores and because mm -hmm. what, I, what I was thinking, you know, um, the foldable or collapsible dog trays and poop scoopers. Mm -hmm. So I have I have my little thing for the water where I just it's like a flat disc and then you just push it down and it's like this like rubber late. Like, I don't know if it's latex, it's like some kind of rubber it's silicone silicone. Yeah, yeah. And so imagine it's a completely collapsible and now you can just clip it onto the side of that tray and then push it down and now you can put your little styrofoam cup in there yeah and i don't know what else you would need i mean yeah i mean even for that a cup holder built-in headphones comes in with that little neck guard a little package yeah. suite but yeah actually that would be doable because you could flatten it to like you know 
miniature and then just slide the whole thing and you can put your cup in there. Yeah, make them really small. And I don't know. It was just something I was thinking about. Like, man, I, I wish I had one of those things right now. And <laughs> maybe they probably exist. I bet if you look on Amazon, search hard enough, you'll find one. But a quick search didn't bring one up. Yeah. Maybe a more detailed search would. Because I was even thinking, you know how they have their crappy little tray with just like a little indentation for the cup. Mm-hmm. What if yeah. that, that slot in itself was collapsible with one of those silicon, um, you know, cup holders so that the cup would actually go in further? Right. Yeah. And the, I understand the reason that why they don't do that, I would I would guess is for cleanliness. It's like they have to be really quick at cleaning these airplanes because they have to turn them around and reload in within like an hour or two. Mm-hmm. So that would be the reason why. And those things would get really filthy. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, because I was thinking, you know how they have the tray and it's just, you know, basically half the thickness of the tray pretty much. So Mm -hmm. it's like if 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 they're plastic injecting it, they would just inject it with the hole right there missing. And then you toss the little little thing in there and just pull it out. Yeah, bring your own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that's... um, it's all my ideas for for this week. How about you? Yeah, that's it. That's what I that's what I was thinking about. And right now, what I'm going to be working on is I need to work on doing some a little more nice design, and then work on um, improving my cam programming skills. Mm-hmm. I'll be going and running some CNC machines this week. So, gotcha. My my plan. I got to. F- I'm finishing the website. So I completely redid the um, infinity sks.com. Um, okay. So I, I have the template up now. I'm just like rewriting all the, the verbiage and the links to all the pages and stuff. So I'm redoing that website to be a lot more precise on exactly what I'm offering. Yeah. And okay. I'm going to try to mock up a, uh, like a little holder for my phone the way I want it to um, fit on the bike. Yeah. See if I can have something set up by next week. All right, cool. Yeah. Well, thanks everybody for listening and we'll talk to you guys next week.